He's got one foot in the frying pan and one in the pressure cooker. Believe me, as a bowler, I know that right about now, your bladder feels like an overstuffed vacuum cleaner bag, and your butt is kind of like an about-to-explode bratwurst. Hey, do you mind? I wasn't talking when you were bowling. Was I talking out loud? Welcome to Munson's at the Movies. My name is Kyle. I will once again be your host. Joined by the rest of the Munson's, I want to give them a wide berth. What is called a born loser? A real Munson. <laughs> we talk a little bit about what's going on in the world. We'll start this time with Rigby. Movie news, I was very happy to see Brendan Fraser get a standing applause at the Venice Film Festival. Yeah. Fully agree. Yeah, I can't wait for that movie. Darren Aronofsky is a is a crazy genius, as they say, so I'm sure it's going to be good. Yeah, he seems to be the uh, early front runner. I mean, you can't buy too much into festival hype, but everybody seems to be hyping up for the best actor, which would be awesome come Oscars time. I'd tune in just for that. You know, he kind of revived uh, Mickey Rourke's career there for a bit, too. So um, mm-hmm. he's a, Aronofsky is, a, is really good at these sort of portrayals of of characters with, you know, regret and shame and stuff so yeah i'm I'm looking forward to it when did they green light encino man 2 wheeze the juice <laughs> no mr stoney no wheezing the juice no wheezing the juice case not a whole lot going on in my world save it for uh, the night and hopefully we can uh, have a good talk about andy mcdowell james sorry i am on the road i am selling everything out of my house it's been an absolute pleasure just living out of a suitcase. I want to go back to what Rigby said. Have you guys noticed that like they keep talking about how long the standing ovations have been at these festivals? Like at first I was like, wow, that's remarkable because I am excited for Brandon Frazier's comeback. He's you know, he's someone whose career took a turn not because of his own wrongdoing, but because he got screwed over. But then like every other movie that comes out is like has a 10-minute standing ovation. And I can't imagine just like how uncomfortable that has to be for everyone involved. I don't fully grasp why that's done. Yeah. And there's been some really bad movies that have gotten really long standing ovations at these festivals. So it was just cool to see Brendan Fraser get sort of teary eyed and bask in the moment. That was the cool part about it. Oh, I totally, I totally agree. I'm just like trying to think of the logistics of how uncomfortable I would be if everyone just stared at me for 10 straight minutes and be like, please stop. I'm begging you to stop. Although this, this episode comes out on September 22nd, we are recording on national bald is beautiful day. So I want to give a shout out to the two humans on uh, the podcast who we're celebrating today. And for the other three who will join them, I'm sure uh, (laughs) they would like to admit. So yeah. Not if these damn PEDs work. As I say, if, if he's not on those. One of the few days I don't wear a toupee. I mean, September 13th. <laughs> Once it's National Gray Hair Day, I'll respond to that better than Bald Day for right now. Since we're celebrating National Bald is Beautiful Day, we figured it was the perfect opportunity to bring our friend Chip Hessenflow, the voice, back to the podcast. Chip is the co-host of the Too Much Scrolling podcast with all the information you need to survive another week. Movies, books, news. They publish every Tuesday. He owns a financial planning practice in the Chicago and Raleigh areas. He works with all sorts of people who are much more interesting than he is. I think he's being humble there. I don't think that's true. But he enjoys his career, which lends him time to think and sometimes be creative. 
And you can find Too Much Scrolling on your favorite podcatcher or smart speaker by searching Too Much Scrolling. Chip was previously with us for the James Marsden, Emma Thompson, and Matthew Broderick episodes. Welcome back, Chip. How's it going out there? And tell us how you're celebrating National Bald is Beautiful Day. Well, first thing I did is I shaved my head to ensure that it truly was bald. And I decided, of course, not to wear the toupee. And uh, that's the reason why, of course, I am in a tuxedo this evening. So if you're picturing this as you're listening, just think of a man in a tuxedo. The imagery and the voice is just very seductive, Chip. We're, we're glad you're here. Birthdays, September 22nd. Let's see what Rigby dug up for us. Yeah, so if you're a usual listener to the show, you, knew, you know we try to do three birthdays per episode. But because our birthday is a fellow months in, we're only going to do one. So it's going to be a short birthday edition this week. And it is none other than Chicago's own Bonnie Hunt. Ooh, my girl. Love a good Bonnie Hunt. So we, yeah, we, we covered her... In the 40s or 30s? Yeah, somewhere in there. 30 episodes back, probably, mm-hmm. 30 or 40 episodes. So she was, she was in the, uh, the first half of the Munson episodes. Any guesses on her age? She's sitting at 46 currently on the Munson meter. I'm going to guess the age is a little bit lower than that and go with uh, 62. I wanted to guess her Munson meter score, but 68.5 or Monty Hunt would be disrespectful in every way possible. You could round down. No, I'm not going to be. I'm not going to be openly that ridiculous. <laughs> I'm going to say Bonnie Hunt is 53, 60, 57. Uh, Chip wins it. She's she's turning 61. I was I was surprised by that. She's been around. I, the Beethoven movies were in the early 90s, and she played someone who I think portrayed you know, um, late 30s, early 40s in that. So yeah. Good for Bonnie, and she's still, still acting, still doing, her, still doing her thing, and and yeah, so sixty one for Bonnie Hunt. How oh, lovely! Excited about that. Five actors that we threw on, on the wheel for episode seventy one, and they were Jake Gyllenhaal, Lucy Punch, Saoirse Ronan, and Margot Martindale. As much as I wanted Margot to get chosen, the I don't pick the wheel chooses, and the wheel chose Andy McDowell. Chip decided to join us to talk about Andy. And when we look at Andy's career, she's got 82 credits on her resume, mostly film. She's got a handful of producer credits built into there as well. But for the most part, she's been doing TV and film work most of her career. Uh, James, actor trivia time. If you can stump us Fast and Furious style. For those of you who are newly initiated, I'm going to read off three facts. Two of them are going to be true about Andy McDowell. One of them is not going to be true about her, but will be true about one of the many famous cast members of the Fast and Furious franchise. Uh, We're many years into this, and I'm digging deep, but we still got them because there's so many of these movies and so many cast members. The guys are going to have to guess which one is not true about Miss McDowell. Fact number one. First actress in U.S. cinema history to bank back-to-back number one films at the American box office during the same year. Fact number two took a 75% cut in her fee in exchange for a percentage of profits for one of her movies, which eventually earned her $3 million. Fact number three, she signed an 11-year contract with Dior's J'adore Perfume, the longest that they have ever signed a spokesperson for. Ooh. Three is tricky. 
because I could see some Fast and Furious stars potentially doing that. But I think Andy's had herself a nice, successful career in the the modeling world. So I'm not going to say that one. But that first one seems fishy. And so I think that one might be Ted Levine. The same year he did, he told home, what's his face to put the lotion in the basket. Um, he probably had a big, another big movie that year. So puts the lotion on the skin, or else it gets the hose again. Hey, don't spray it. I love Ted Levine. That guy's so creepy. He's somebody that would be really interesting to cover one day because I he has limited range with the, that voice. Back one, Kyle, you were onto something. So I'm gonna go three is a lie, and I I think that's Charlize. Good guess. But if those other two are right, that's fascinating for both for for those. I'm going three. It's the Dior. She signed with other, not with Dior. I'm going to say that the lie is number two. And, and the trick James is throwing at us this week is it's actually not a Fast and Furious character, but it was the most random character reference we've ever had an episode last week of Gallagher. <laughs> Gallagher is the person. Nailed it. <laughs> who got it, negotiated for the rights and made $3 million. <laughs> Cool. Fact number one. First actress in U.S. cinema history to bank back-to-back number one films in the American box office during the same year is true. So her film, Four Weddings and a Funeral, in 1994, went number one the weekend of April 15th. And then the next weekend, it would be knocked out of the top spot by Bad Girls, which was also starring her. I was shocked by that. It's never happened before. Obviously, they were filmed at different times. But back-to-back weekends. Fact number two. She took a 75% pay cut in her fee in exchange for percentage of profits for one of her movies, eventually earning $3 million. Also true. They all took pay cuts all in, in exchange for percentage points on the movie, and it made a ton of money. So she actually, most of the supporting actors got paid a little bit more than $17,000. Hugh Grant, the star, $40,000. All of them were just taking percentage points. The movie was filmed, I think, in like nine weeks, maybe? It was small budget. Um, and then. You guys were able to smell it out. She signed an 11-year contract with Dior. That is not true about her. That is true about Charlize Theron. Well done, Rigby. However, McDowell is uh, L'Oreal's longest-serving spokesmodel, and she's been with them since 1986. There you go, Chip. We don't, we don't get a, an absolute right guess all the way through both sides very often, so shout out. Gallagher was close. I have to admit I've read one too many, one too many Vanity Fair and Vogue magazines. <laughs> the thought of Charlize Theron in a uh, Dior ad just popped up in my head and it's just never really gone away. So made me think of that. Good job, James. Case, tell us a little bit about Andy's snapshot in box office history. Andy McDowell's box office snapshot was the most interesting box office I've looked at in 30 episodes. So I always highlight one or two movies that I want to I want to point out before I get go into her scores. I have 11 movies that I could talk about. All of her super interesting box office movies really deal with return on investment. So it's appropriate that Chip is here. She was in the fourth, fifth, sixth, and seventh lowest return on investments that we've looked at. Boy. The fifth quarter was uh, budgeted for $6 million and world grossed 408000 Terra Road was budgeted for $12 million and grossed 876000 The last sign, budgeted for about $15 million, world grossed 790000 One of my favorites, Town & Country, budgeted for $90 million and world grossed $10 million. 
the daddy of them all, because of the wild stories that go on with this movie, is Hudson Hawk, the Bruce Willis disaster, which was budgeted for $65 million and at world grossed $17 million, lost $48 million. It's listed on one of the 10 biggest flops in movie history website. And then there's a couple others that are interesting. But I'll start with the movie called Deception, also known as Ruby Cairo. Budgeted for $24 million, world gross 609000 She's the top-billed person in this movie, and it's not listed on her Rotten Tomatoes page. <laughs> Intentionally, I'm sure. She somehow got out of that one. Unfortunately, I couldn't find the budget for this movie, but I assume it's low. Uh, but Intervention, world gross 6000 and it was in one theater over three days, and then it was no longer the theaters. Happiness Runs, budgeted for $1.2 million, world gross 7000 and then finally, one that had a lot of potential to find more information, but I, I was researched out as good as dead. Budget for $1.5 million, world goes 56000 and uh, Miramax was sued by an investor for this movie because it just didn't do very well. So the a guy, a investor was so unhappy with the way this one worked that he actually sued Miramax trying to get his money back on it. So this has just been a, a wild one, right? So then, all of a sudden, I look at it, and she's in the movie Sex, Lies, and Videotape, which was a viral hit in the theaters. That movie was uh, budgeted for $1.2 million, world grossed $25 million, one of the top 15 movies we have. And then, finally, Four Weddings and a Funeral is the fourth best-performing movie box office against budget, $4.4 million budget. $246 million world gross. Huge hit. Just crushed it. Crushed it. Yep. Very convoluted data for our girl. And let's see where she ends up. Her uh, average budget puts her at 70th with a $20 million average budget for her films. Star meter is 1,072, which puts her at 50th. Total box office, she's 66. Critic ranking, 41st. Fan ranking or Kyle's ranking, 68th, 11th, and 3rd in two of the different box office metrics that we have. If you average out her numbers, that puts her at 48th out of 71. That is by far the most fascinating and enthusiastic you've ever been about a box office snapshot. I'm telling you, I didn't get any sleep last night because I just kept looking into the, all these different stories. Capturing a lot of losses there. <laughs> To be used against future games. <laughs> yes, exactly right. All right, well, let's get into uh, her early life before we start talking about performances. First and foremost, she's born in 58 in South Carolina. What township was she born in? She was born in Gaffney, South Carolina, <laughs> home of uh, President Francis Underwood. Gaffney is home of the great big peach that looks like a butt uh, or something else as you're driving down the highway from Charlotte towards Clemson, Greenville, South Carolina. Well, her early days in Gaffney, her parents divorced at the, at the age of six. We'll talk a little bit about her mom in a later role, but her mom suffered from mental health issues, schizophrenia, I believe, to be technical, and her mom was institutionalized at one point. It was a bit chaotic for her as a young one. Um, she went to Winthrop University for two years, so did college for a couple years there, but the after the, she dropped out to become a model, she was actually on a trip to L.A. and 
got notice while she was on that trip and signed a modeling contract with Elite Model Management in 1978. And in the early 80s, so in those years following her signing with Elite Model Management, she did ad campaigns for brands like Vogue, Yves Saint Laurent, Armani. We haven't covered too many actors or actresses that have a heavy modeling background. I guess the last one would have been Cameron Diaz, right? That's where she got her start. That's what got her introduced. And in fact, she did a line of Calvin Klein commercials in the 80s that led her to her first movie role in 1984. We also had Renee Russo as cover model. I want. I always think of her fact where she was bullied so much for having a full-time back brace in middle school that she changed high schools and then was like immediately a model. Sounds like a subplot to Cobra Kai. <laughs> that modeling of Calvin Klein led her to her first role, which is in a movie called Greystoke, The Legend of Tarzan, Lord of the Apes. And despite all those things Case talked about earlier, he didn't mention this movie at all, which is just goes to show how many wild productions this woman has been on in her time, because the stories around Greystoke, fascinating. Mm -hmm. This is my review for First Major Role, came out in 1984. It's actually got a pretty good split on Rotten Tomatoes. It's got a 73-60 split, critics and audience, so generally liked by both sides. It was directed by Hugh Hudson, who had just won an Oscar for Chariots of Fire three years before that. I mean, he's hot at the time. This is his next big movie, and she gets cast in it seemingly as a nobody. This is her first role doing TV or film. So this is big, right out of the gate, coming with an Oscar-winning director. Six years after she signed as a, as a model. Mm-hmm. So her life is moving fast. Ascension. Quick, quick ascension in the entertainment world. So the movie was nominated for three Oscars, one for Ralph Richardson for Best Supporting Actor, which the nomination was given to him posthumously because he died after the filming the movie, adapted screenplay and makeup. It stars a very unknown Christopher Lambert as Tarzan, even though they never refer to him as Tarzan in this movie. They only refer to him as either Lord Greystoke or John, but they never refer to him as Tarzan. Uh, do you guys know who Christopher Lambert is? Yeah. He was a French actor before this. I know him best. And this is embarrassing as Raiden in Mortal Kombat Annihilation. <laughs> I know him best from Highlander. Kyle, now that you said that, I do know who he is. I wouldn't have known him any other way. If he's Raiden from the first Mortal Kombat. So that's, that was my very different than this. Um, Ian Holm plays Philippe and Annie McDowell plays Miss Jane Porter. The basic concept of this part, particular Tarzan movie is that you're introduced to a Scottish royal family. The members of the family venture on a trip. There's a shipwreck on the shores of Africa. This guy and his wife have a child. I think she might already be pregnant on the boat, but it's insinuated that 10 months later they have a child uh, and the mother dies. So it's just Papa and Tarzan, our boy Chris Lambert, in infant form. The dad is killed by some apes and the boy is then raised by the apes because their ape child had passed away. So they adopted the child as one of their own. But our girl Andy doesn't show up until more than halfway through the film. Uh, she plays a pretty major role the rest of the way. Um, she plays the Earl of Greystoke's ward from America. Uh, the most hilarious part about this movie, and you may not know it if you watch it for the first time, but every one of her lines was dubbed over by Glenn Close after the movie. Yeah. The first scene, there's a couple differences, but once you settle in, you really can't tell. <laughs> I think they hit the cadence uh, remarkably spot on, um, but they said that they took her voice out because they felt her southern drawl was distracting. I f feel like you should have made that decision beforehand. Yeah. She said nobody told her. 
she filmed her first movie. Can you imagine your first movie? You, you go through this whole process, and then at the end, they're like, oh, by the way, we hate your voice. We're going to dub over with this other amazing actress, Glenn Close. Did she know that she had been dubbed over before the premiere? I think so. Yeah. She was told the news when she was like alone in, in her hotel room. So it was prior to the movie coming out. And she's like, well, this is, this is going to be very embarrassing. It's like, people are just going to think I have like no capabilities whatsoever. Yeah. She experienced some depression because of it. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I think one of the statements she said is that she worked really hard to make sure her next film was not going to have that. Well, and you think first time actress in a big role in a big movie coming off this probably have a little bit of imposter syndrome at that moment in time. Like, am I really here? Sure. Should I, do I deserve to be here? And then they cut out all your lines. It would be so easy to just quit and be like, well, this wasn't for me. I'm done. Even in Hollywood, it's, it would have been even easier for people to never cast her again. Mm-hmm. So it's amazing that she even got cast in other giant movies that we're about to talk about. Her voice appears in this movie. Do you know what it appears as? No. Oh, no. Her voice in the movie is the sound of Tarzan's birth when the baby's being born. That's her voice. Oh, my God. That's it. That's it. I don't know if it'd be embarrassment. I think I'd be mad. Hollywood's shitty sometimes. This is That's bullshit. Yeah, for real. With all that said, uh, you know, it's hard to judge her performance because it's not her voice so you kind of get caught up in other things but yeah i I, th- I think the early role you see her is like the really pretty like innocent girl who is you know helping lord greystone slash tarzan slash john get used to being in civilization and then the end of the movie they yeah i mean spoiler alert if you don't know the story of tarzan he ends up going back into the wild so it's a decent movie it's just not streaming anywhere free but if you want to see Glenn Close's voice dubbed over Andy McDowell. I think it's worth checking out. Interesting movie. I'd argue that she must have been really good in this movie because she does play that role quite a bit coming up. So she was shitty at that role. Mm -hmm. Never would have got another job playing that spot. So she must have done well outside of they just didn't like her voice, which bizarre. We're going to talk about it. She's been typecast in that a lot. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of it comes from Greystoke. It's just very demoralizing how they treated her. After the production. That's first major role, 84. Um, We've got seven years until our next review. So there in the meantime, she gets some actual acting training. She studied method acting with Harold Guskin and Warren Robertson there in the mid (laughs) stepping in. Probably like, man, I got to figure out how to do this thing. Starting to get some training. Her her next movie is a big one from 85, St. Elmo's Fire. She plays Dale, a surgeon in the movie, who Emilio Estevez's character like is obsessed with and she turns out to be married and yada 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 but she doesn't have a lot going on other than just being like charming and very attractive and causing Emilio to melt in her hands this is the Brat Pack movie so it's just like Mm -hmm. she's kind of overshadowed by you know the Rob Lowe's and the Demi Moore's and the people that you know are the stars of the movie I should say she's overshadowed by the Demi Moore suicide Plot device? No way. <laughs> you mean Rob Lowe's saxophone playing? <laughs> she plays a surgeon? I mean, she, she's seven years out of college. I actually despise this movie. Oh! Yeah. Is that because of the sax? It's just so, like, cliche, <laughs> and all the characters are obnoxious, and it's just like, I don't give a shit about these Georgetown preppy losers who complain about their lives. Yeah, it was not my favorite. What about the song, St. Elmo's Fire? Did nobody love that? I like that song. I like the song. 
That's a great song. Living in Indianapolis, when I hear St. Elmo's Fire, I just think of steakhouses. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> Conjures some some semblance of positivity. 86 is when she started her relationship with L'Oreal, and that's 35 years ago. 35 years ago. 30, almost 36 years. She has such effortless beauty. I mean, th- there's no doubt yeah. why L'Oreal picked her to be the every person. Yep. And I never got, never got the, the gist from interviews or anything. People talking about her. She doesn't seem like a cocky person. She doesn't seem like somebody who's better than other people. I don't think she has a, an ounce of funny in her, but that's a different story. So she married Paul Qualley in 1986, who was a fellow model at the time. Three kids, including two actresses, Margaret and Rainey Qualley, which we'll talk about some crossovers with those two later in her career. But a couple daughters that followed in her footsteps in the entertainment world. That's pretty cool. It's very cool that she felt comfortable enough to, I guess, if they wanted to go in the the field, to, to allow them to go into the field. Some people don't always have good experiences and would caution their children. Absolutely. The only thing she said was, she's like, I think the acting business is a good business as long as you treat it as a business. But uh, the one thing she wanted to wait was they had to wait until they were 18 to get into it. Starts doing some TV work there, there in the late 80s. Her first recurring role is on Secret of the Sahara as Anthea in 88. Does an episode of Spencer for Hire in 88. And then the biggie, kind of puts her and Soderbergh on the map, is uh, Steven Soderbergh's first film, Sex, Lies, and Videotape. She played Anne, a movie that earned her an ISA and Golden Globe nom for her performance. Yeah, as you guys know, I'm a big Soderbergh fan, and this movie's awesome. Great performance by McDowell. Even better performance by James Spader. If you don't know the plot of this, he plays a guy who videotapes these like confessions slash like therapy sessions with women talking women and couples i should say talking about sexuality it's it's very good it's a very intense yeah look at you know relationships and intimacy this movie is why i'm a big um why i'm a big spader fan and also uh a start of soderbergh's career for sure what put him on the map as kyle said i saw this film in 89 I was a kid. Was it formative for you, Chip? No, I, I just, I asked for it to be rented. We rented it, and I watched it. <laughs> I didn't realize that Chuck Cedar was in any other movie, so this was, this was a big moment for me. Anybody knows that reference? I don't. No. Nope. I feel like I should. Peter Gallagher, Mr. Deeds. Oh, yeah, well, <laughs> I missed the Chichero episode, so there you go. This movie's just marvelously understated and it's been like how it's presented and Rigby said it tells such a great story and I think this movie struggled early in the box office because of the more conservative movie going audience you know with the title Sex, Lies and Videotape it, it opened at 156,000 and then it ended up United States gross 25 mil so you know I think everybody initially backed off from this movie just because of the title, and it, it terrifically told story. Her, like, innocence, typecasting-wise, it fits the bill perfect, perfectly. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. What I think about her performance is, as you're watching her, like, kind of that innocent, reserved character that she portrays so well, often she gets to the point where you're like, I, I think she's going to turn, and I think she's going to go past this. And she never does. Like she really holds the tension and she holds the line well in this movie and her performance. And she, 
I don't think there's anybody that would have been cast better for this movie at that role. Well, coming off Sex, Lies, and Videotape, she gets the call up from the bullpen to host SNL in 1989 and participates in some skits in 1989. Uh, did you guys watch the clips of her uh, on SNL? Because it's pretty brutal to watch. Did not watch it based on your recommendation. Awkward, like... Make me cringe, sort of, but this person's not intentionally funny, you know, sort of thing, so. She was not funny at all. Like, very little laughs. Yeah, she was struggling through her monologue. Mm -hmm. And I I don't know if she was nervous to... I'm sure she was really... uh, Well, and of course, I mean, it's perfectly reasonable to be nervous. Mm -hmm. But her monologue was basically a statement to her father. Mm -hmm. Like, don't watch this skit, don't watch this skit, don't watch this skit. You're right, it was very flat and certainly wasn't funny. And I watched a couple of the skits, too, and she would just constantly miss her lines. She'd misspeak them, and it would kill whatever comedic buildup was going on at that moment in time. It's just, This just wasn't for her, and she was young. I mean, she's still young, 10 years into her career. And that's the difference with, with method acting. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's pretty brutal. Uh, I haven't seen SNL appearance by a Munson actor that was this bad in a long time. What a strange host selection by Saturday Night Live. I mean, nothing in her career before, during, or since that point would indicate to me that, hey, she'd be a great and interesting host on Saturday Night Live. But she's young. Yeah, young, next big thing. Yep, on Sex Lives and Videotape. I mean, think about the the bands they get. It's all about the flash of the moment. That's true. And at the same time, improv may not be a thing for actors to kind of play around with if you're not in some skit group. I mean, I mean, she's only five roles into her career. That's it. But I mean, St. Elmo's Fire, Greystoke, all the movies were well-received, so I don't know. They saw something there. Gave her a platform for people to learn her. I just wish it had gone better for her, unfortunately. I guess Lauren Michaels knows what he's doing, so we'll, we'll give him a pass on this one. 90, I didn't get a chance to be able to watch this because she got a Golden Globe nom, and I wanted to see a YouTube clip, but she was in Green Card, played Bronte. Um, she was in The Object of Beauty in 91 as Tina, and then the one that C- Craig really wants to talk about, and that is Hudson Hawk alongside Bruce Willie in 91. She played Anna. I remember this movie being classically awful. Reminder, this movie did awful. If you're adjusting for inflation, it lost $95 million. The film received six Razzie nominations, including Worst Actor for Willis, Worst Supporting Actor for Grant, Worst Supporting Actress for Bernhardt, and won three awards, Worst Director, Worst Picture, and Worst Screenplay. And it was rumored that this movie was cursed by the Pope because portion of her roles included being a sexy nun. This movie is such a good cast, too, as I'm looking through the, the casting list. I mean, if the Pope did curse it, that's, you know, huge news. So, you know, we'll never know, but... <laughs> <laughs> but look, Bruce Willis, Andy McDowell, James Coburn, Richard E. Grant is in this movie, David Caruso, Lorraine Toussaint. Like, what are they doing over there? How did they screw this up this badly? They presented it as an action movie because of Bruce Willis. They advertised it essentially as as a, you know, almost like he's playing a more of a comedic John McClane role. Viewers went to watch this movie thinking it was an action movie, and it's not. I mean, it's barely a comedy movie, but certainly isn't an action role. Could it be the tagline? Catch the excitement. Catch the adventure. Catch the hawk. Ugh. We can pivot to a better movie. And so after Hudson Hawk and that 
should on case unless you have some extra pieces for Hudson Hawk. I just got nervous after James' comment about the Pope, and I just want to go on record <laughs> saying I hope the Pope doesn't curse our podcast. I'd be honored to have the the Pope curse our <laughs> podcast. That means we made it. If you haven't been cursed by a prominent religious figure, what have you been doing with your life? For all the things that people who are very religious pretend, curses is not a big part of any of them. No. no. <laughs> All right, well, let's move to a, a markedly better movie, and that's her highest critic score, which is Groundhog Day from 1993, and James struck gold on it. It stars Bill Murray. He is a weatherman who's covering the annual emergence of Punxsutawney Phil on Groundhog's Day, hence the name. He gets caught in a blizzard, and he finds himself kind of trapped in this small town, but also in a time warp in which he has to relive the exact same day over and over again until he kind of gets it right. And Andy McDowell plays Rita. She is the love interest in this movie. It's a romantic comedy and it's an absolute classic. And I think it's one of the better movies from the nineties in general. That's how good I think this movie is. If you haven't seen it yet, you did yourself a disservice. You should rent it tonight and watch it. In fact, I was mentioning Groundhog Day 2. I don't know if you saw the sequel. They just played this film again. <laughs> I was like, wait, they they discredited it? Now I get the joke. Now I understand. I've never heard of this movie. Can you tell me more about it? Uh, what I told you is actually the entire plot, and it just happens like 12 different times. It's you don't want to repeat it? You don't want to repeat it again for our audience? No? The usage of I Got You, Babe, is so yeah. great in this movie. Every day that he wakes up, it's so unbelievably great. Craig and post, we should take James's description and repeat it two more times (laughs) just to really drive home the point to our audience. While it takes place in Pennsylvania, it was filmed in Woodstock, Illinois. And every year on Groundhog Day, they play the movie and and there's a big festival. And it's based around this film. Great. And if you walk around Woodstock, that that square, they've got so many of where the scenes were... um, taking place they've got a, they've got plaques everywhere you can basically follow follow along and the other thing i want to mention is that i was convinced that this had to be based on a short story or a, a, you know a novel something it wasn't it was an original script wow yeah so cool it truly is of a movie it captures bill murray at his best you've got uh, chris elliott uh, who is just the you know the squeamish guy and then you've got this you know bright flower of a person in andy mcdowell i mean there's so much to enjoy about this he's perfect in this movie and i think that uh, andy mcdowell's i guess grace kind of is how i would phrase it plays off of his sarcastic kind of douchebag behavior really well yeah i think that's what makes it funny is like he can't get through to her he can't outwit her and she's just kind of like politely putting him in his place the entire time. and uh, But he is absolutely the star of this movie, and he's hilarious in it. Are you saying that Ned Ryerson, the insurance god, is not <laughs> the focus of this movie? Ned? Ned Ryerson? Uh, the first time he punches him is laugh out yeah. loud funny. <laughs> <laughs> you guys, I worked at the theater when this movie came out. And you're always having to do this, like basically patrol the theaters, checking on things. This movie's always screwed me up because I never knew what part of the movie it was because it would just <laughs> repeat certain parts. 
Uh, it sucked to do this one. We talked last week about how I'm not a huge fan of time travel movies, except for Back to the Future, James. Um, and I think because they're so cliched, and I feel like this time loop storyline is also cliched, but this just does it so well. I mean, this is like the creme de la creme yep. of them. Yeah. The Jet Setter. Were, was there time loop movies like this before Groundhog Day, um, or did it set the tone? Maybe not comedies. I feel like yeah. this was like the movie that like kind of introduced like that f- fantasy aspect to it, you know? Created its own genre. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's blowing my mind that brought that this is an original screenplay, because yeah, it, this is a incredibly original movie. I don't know about you guys, but the best part of the movie is when Jack Black goes, Ma Baines. Ma Baines. Uh, well, if she wasn't a bona fide star by 93, by golly, she'll be after Groundhog Day, because that's, that's a big time, big time movie. The critic score followed it. Another big time movie from 93 that I, I unfortunately couldn't watch because it's literally not streaming. It's not even on Prime. Is Shortcuts. It plays Anne in a movie that had 12 actors who have either won or been nominated for an actor, and none of those names include Annie McDowell. Wow. So what a star-studded cast. Holy moly. Has anybody seen Shortcuts? No. Thought that too, Kyle, that the cast is unreal. And I will say, I'll give you a hint of the various... Of the various Andy McDowell lists that I saw, this is an Altman movie mentioned as a uh, mentioned as a good performance of hers. So I wish I would have seen it. Robert Altman is he's made some really good movies, but he's also just I think he was just kind of a weird fucking dude. So allegedly, you're just a really weird guy. There's a lot of movies that he's made that are famous that I just haven't been able to. They're like none of them are ever streaming anywhere. Like you can't even rent them. So. Like Nashville, Nashville, which is one of like the most oh yeah celebrated movies ever, like never streams anywhere. Sorry, that's my that's my Robert Altman rant. Here's the cast: the four Oscar winners: Jack Lemmon, Tim Robbins, Francis McDormand, and Julianne Moore. The Oscar nominees: Buck Henry, Bruce Davison, Lily Tomlin, Tom Waits, Ann Archer, Robert Downey Jr., Jennifer Jason Leigh, and Huey Lewis. Damn. And that doesn't account for Annie McDowell and Peter Gallagher. That's wild. My man Huey Lewis is in there. I'm going to find that movie. I'm going to watch it. Still think it's unfair. Huey Lewis was part of a karaoke circuit in that movie. (laughs) 94. The movie we talked about. A bunch of weddings and a funeral. Four weddings and a funeral. And there she played Carrie. Got another Golden Globe nom. So her third at this point. And I read a, a, a fun fact that according to a British poll of like the most annoying movie characters of all time, her character of Carrie was voted uh, one of the most, like, towards the top. That's because she was acting. <laughs> yeah, it was supposed to be annoying. I know. She nails it. Absolutely crushes it. I enjoyed this movie. I enjoyed the other versions of this movie that exist. I think it's just a funny plot, and it kind of plays out like a play, and it's enjoyable every time. This has to be one of the most successful movies we've covered. I mean, it made 55 times its budget. It's got a 96% critic ranking, 74% fan ranking. I mean, just, it's got to be one of the best movies we've looked at. Absolutely rocks. Hugh Grant is so charming in it from start to finish, despite being a kind of a scumbag at times. Um, okay, well, let's get, let's get to the lowest critic score. Chip, always a, a great sport. You know, I offered him, I said, hey, you pulled lowest critic score. It's a movie called Bad Girls from 94. You okay rec- reviewing it? He said, I'll review the movie. Bad girls, bad girls, what you gonna do? Which, wait, what are we going to do song? when we review you poorly? <laughs> was a, Chip, I learned earlier that this movie was number one in the box office. And now I'm sad that all those people had to watch this, like you. For like a weekend. And then uh, people were like, all right, not as good as the other Andy McDowell movie that just came out. So tell us about it, Chip. 
This movie was awful. <laughs> but here's the deal. It's, it's not awful in the sense of like, where you're going to watch it on Mystery Science Theater and they're going to make fun of it. No, it's just forgettable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It really is an awful film. It is like, all right, let's cast an incredibly beautiful cast and then, um, I don't know, put some fake dirt on them and then uh, have their, all their clothes tailored and uh, we'll pretend like it's the Wild West. And um, it is a girl power movie. And as I was watching it, one of the things that I thought of is Drew Barrymore is one of the stars of this film. And this must have had an influence on her because later on in 2000, Drew Barrymore puts together the the group that does Charlie's Angel, Mm -hmm. which is another kind of girl girl power um, movie that is certainly more successful than this one. The, the the premise of it is four prostitutes join together to travel the West. All right, and they're going to take over and they're going to take names. They've got Madeline Stowe, Mary Stuart Masterson, Drew Barrymore, and Annie McDowell. So four beautiful white women, and you see that when Charlie's Angels came out, they they diversified a little bit of the cast. And certainly if this was remade today, which there's no reason to, they would make it a far more diversified cast than at that time. But I'm sure people were going to this film going, there are beautiful people in this. This is going to be a funny, fun, adventure type movie. And I'm so sorry they were disappointed on it. Part of the, the, the challenge, it looks like that the, the original director was fired Three weeks into filming, Ooh. they brought in a new producer. They were they brought in an, another director. Jonathan Kaplan was brought in. Madeline Snow said that it's a terrible movie, and there's really nothing I can say about the experience that's positive, except that it brought me to Texas. Mm-hmm. So you know, if you have a you know have a tear for Texas, this would be the moment to shed it because we watched it, so you don't have to. <laughs> that's the podcast mantra right there. <laughs> At no point is it believable that any of these women were or are prostitutes. They are way too refined. Drew Barrymore looks gorgeous, and you're like, nah, you've, you haven't seen quite enough wear and tear as a prostitute in the Wild West. Oh. I'm sorry. Not a thing. Many of the sets look like, well, that was from Planet of the Apes, and that was in every Western that I've ever seen. And it's always the same guy. It's like the guy is going to be too aggressive with a woman. Girl power, we're going to shoot him. And he's dead now. You know, that type of stuff. In the first month this was released, it was released in over 2,000 theaters, which in the month of April 1994 was the fifth most of any movie. Okay. 2,000. Wide release. This is another one of those movies I got into trouble for when I was working at the movie theater that I would tell people to not see. Wise man. I actually kind of appreciate it now when, like, the teenager who I'm buying my ticket from says stuff like that. I was like, hey, man, I appreciate that. Thank you. In the 90s, you about got your ass whipped by your boss. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Take their money. Don't save them money. They can learn that lesson on their own. You're not a critic. Watch it yourself and watch your soul die. (laughs) (laughs) The ranking of the four actresses that you mentioned, where does Andy rank with her acting? Wow. I give her two. No, I would say last. Last? Yeah. <laughs> I was try- trying to make fetch happen over here. I would say last. And it's not because there's not much difference between all, all four of them. Yeah. Her, her role is a nothing sandwich. There's only one that has any like real 
difference in the character arc because she's going after whatever's the kid, Kid Tucker or whatever the hell his name is. It's a tough story. Somebody had to write it. Somebody had to act in it. And somebody had to release it. Somebody had to review it. I'm sorry that I asked. So we'll just move on. <laughs> Maybe we'll get to some positivity. We'll see. I don't know if anybody actually had to do any of those things. It sounds like it was better if no one did any of them. <laughs> Probably true. We've got a long time until our next review. So we got a big chunk from 95 to 2017. So we're covering over 20 years here. Starting with a movie from 95 alongside John Turturro. Uh, directed by Diane Keaton, Unstrung Hero. She played Selma. Wasn't this critically reviewed really well? It was. That's why I put it on there. Yeah. I didn't get a chance to watch free either episode. I don't think it was streaming free anyway. And I think people were very high on Diane Keaton's directing ability in this. It was nominated for an Oscar. Mm-hmm. Best music. Thomas Newman did the score. It's cool. Yeah, it's got a 70 meta score. It's pretty good ratings, so that's why I included it in the show notes. because I... you, you can't get better than Newman. Newman is awesome. Thomas Newman is great. I'm a big, I think James Horner's work in the 90s and 2000s was pretty underrated, but I'm with you. Newman's, Newman's right at the top of the heap. But a movie that I did watch that I think is excellent, Multiplicity, plays Laura, side the other Keaton, Michael Keaton. And there's a lot of Michael Keatons in this movie. Yeah, there is. Four of them at one point. Doing what every man would want, three clones of himself to take care of all life's little details this movie is incredibly watchable even 20 years later yeah i agree keaton's brilliant she's good in it the whole story's told entertainingly it's it's a great movie i love how by the time he gets to like the fourth (laughs) so stupid and dumb it's like it's awesome oh it's so good (laughs) yeah it's a dumb movie to be honest i don't even remember much of annie mcdowell's character at this point because i get i got so locked in on Michael Keaton. Yeah. All the version. Yeah. And that's, he's the star of it. So that's totally understandable. Kind of like Groundhog Day. It's like, you know, he's in every scene. And yeah. So yeah, she tends to play these like lead female roles where it's really about the male actor being the focus of the story. And she's just there to kind of balance it. Seems to be a theme here in the 90s or late 80s and 90s. But yeah, also, also a Harold Ramis movie. So just like uh, yep. Groundhog Day was. Mm-hmm. Uh, the End of Violence. She played Paige, a movie alongside Gabriel Byrne. The Byrne! Byrne Hawks will be so happy we mentioned him. One of the few roles I've seen where she displays some, like, semi-decent emotional range. I haven't been impressed overall by her ability to play dynamic or nuanced characters, because she really doesn't play them much up until recently. But early on, this is one of the few that I felt like actually had some dynamic to it. So I'll give her that credit. Her first producing credit was in 99. Uh, she played a character, Linda, in Just the Ticket. Made a brief appearance in Muppets from Space. She plays a reporter named Shelley who gets into a fight with Miss Piggy on air. It's not one of many actors we've covered that made an appearance in a Muppet movie over the years. But in uh, 99, she divorced Paul Qualley and then started dating Dennis Quaid. Your boy, Rigby. D. Quaid. As in Eddie's brother. <laughs> yeah the one who's just like mildly right wing not off the deep end yeah not a full-on kook she's gonna act alongside Gotcha. quaid here in about a decade and i'll talk about that movie but one we covered on the tony collette episode she played karen in dinner with friends in a movie that james likes i didn't really like as much but I thoroughly hated her character. And it's it's been a bias I'm trying to shake, but it's hard. I thought she was serviceable in the role, but you, you of the four, she's got the least range of a character. It's very much one note, but 
I think that's what was asked for in this role. Also, we passed the Willennium, by the way, so I got to make sure that's that's our see how that's done case. You just got to find a way to sneak it in. Yeah, no, I noticed it. I noticed it. Hey, did did you skip over Michael? I did, but we can put it back in. We can talk about Michael. My dad loved that movie. I didn't think it was awful, but he would obnoxiously laugh at that movie. And it, as to this day, it still makes me laugh that he laughed at that movie. Oh, and William Hurt's in that movie, too, so I probably should have mentioned it. Yeah. Yeah, that movie sucks. Metascore. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's why I left it off, because I was like, man, the rating is absolutely atrocious for this movie. There you go. It's for people born in like the, the 50s and 60s. It's there, right up their alley. After dating Dennis Quaid for a, for a hot minute, she then dated and married Rhett Hartzog and married him in 01, were divorced by 04, so that did not last very long but some more dating anecdotes. And then in 05, takes a kind of a turn in genre, is in the movie Beauty Shop, played Terry alongside Jaiman Hansu. Her southern accent is out and on full display in this movie. Started to embrace that southern heritage here as the uh, like bougie white woman go into the hair salon type of deal. You know, it's kind of shitty that her entire career, this is one of the first times that she's allowed to lean in <laughs> to that accent and and be able to just speak authentically in a movie that is not at all about her character. Did you say talk correctly? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for the correction. Jimin's <laughs> <laughs> just a heartthrob in that movie too. She's fun. There's a big gap here. She doesn't do a lot of notarial projects here in the the two like two, between 2000 and 2010. I think taking some time off for mom duties, and there are a few things on her resume, but really not a lot to note between 06 and 2010. Case mentioned a couple of them in movies that did awful in the box office, but n- no roles really to note on our end. Kyle, the one that may be worth noting is Intervention. That subject and that hit close to home with her. You know, if I'm not mistaken, I think she had to have an intervention for her mom when she was like 17 or 18 years old. They brought her to a state psychiatric hospital and they were trying to check her in. And the doctor looked at her and was like, if your mom doesn't get help, she's going to be dead within five years. That really shook her up. I would have to imagine that a project like that was a really important project for her in in her life. Yeah, her mother was an alcoholic and a a pretty substantial one at that. And she mentioned essentially taking care of her mom from the time she was able to understand what was going on. So like, she's like, hey, I was a teenager in high school working at McDonald's and my mom also worked at the same McDonald's and my mom got fired. And I was like, hey, can you can you hire my mom back? And they're like, absolutely not. Yeah. It was a bad spot. If I'm not mistaken, and this is from my reading and memory, so take it for what it is. I think mom died maybe at 56. Mm-hmm. Certainly not a very long life either. Yeah. Mm. Chronic alcoholism will do that to you. Mm-hmm. Takes me years off your life. But 2010, she's in a movie called Daydream Nation plays Enid, a, a hopeful mom. It's a story where uh, Kat Dennings plays a high school student who essentially starts hooking up with her teacher, played by Josh Lucas. Again, it, it's a decent movie, it, but the I will say the, the scenes where Andy is on screen, she chews them up pretty well. She doesn't get a ton of screen time in this movie, but when she is on screen, she makes the most. So give her credit there. She's in the miniseries Lone Star, 2010, played Alex. And then makes that return on the screen with Dennis Quaid in 2011's Footloose, a movie I watched last night. Blew me away how high the ratings are on Footloose. 
this one. People loved it. And I'm just not a Footloose guy. The first Footloose is awesome. Yeah. I'm with you, Kyle. I, I, this one sucks. And probably because I just hate Miles Teller. Whoa. Oh. You hate Miles Teller. Yeah, I'm not a huge Miles Teller fan. I didn't buy his like country Joe best friend shtick. It was not believable. The fact that I hate Miles Teller that much and I love Whiplash just shows you how much I love J.K. Simmons, so there you go. I don't know. I, I'm with you and nothing really memorable about nothing really memorable about Andy McDowell's character in this. Um, just that she has a change of heart. Yeah, I mean she's the accelerant for turning Wade's character, mm-hmm. but that's, I mean, that, she's a plot device in this movie, ultimately. This is the second movie in her career with title of the movie as the name of the soundtrack title, so there you go. Everybody cut, everybody cut, everybody cut, foot loose. James is so jealous of all of these, uh, these fun facts you're bringing in. That's his job. That's right. God. Did Quaid play the same role as Lithgow? Yeah, he's the Reverend. In the remake? Yeah. Yeah, he's the Reverend. Is McDowell his wife, basically? Yes. Accurate. Okay. It's just a nonsense story. It's ridiculous. 2012, alongside Chaz Palminteri, she's in the movie Mighty Fine, a movie that we reviewed in that episode, and her character is has one of the worst accents I've ever heard, seen on television. It's like a Jewish Holocaust survivor accent. That's how it's described. And it's truly infuriating. So I don't recommend it to anybody. <laughs> I recommend watching it for Chaz because it's one of the few times you actually get to see him do something different than what you would normally see from him. But her character is just absolutely awful. So from where I'm standing, that's a physical impossibility. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know your tricks. <laughs> for the 30 Rock fans, she makes an appearance in 2012 on the Leap Dave segment with jim carrey so i like 30 rock a lot and for some reason this performance just get my brain of of ones that i remember um only one episode correct it's very brief yeah it's one episode and her role is extremely brief yeah so this would have been the last i think it ended in 2013 so one of the the, it, it got less funny as it went on obviously but and she's in a segment with jim carrey so she's overshadowed no matter what no matter what she does yeah it's just a date Name of the game. Yeah, talk about two different vibes. Just, just, yeah, <laughs> Performers. totally different just, vibes. Uh, Jim Carrey's like all out there, and Andy McDowell is. Andy McDowell could put you to sleep. Wallflower. Yeah. It's literally the opposite ends of the humor spectrum. Yep. Someone that's not funny at all versus one of the funniest people you ever meet in your life. Yep. Jane by Design, she played Grey in 2012. 18 episodes of that show kind of seemed like she was trying to do her best Meryl Streep impression as like a hardcore hard-ass fashion designer i applaud her for trying something and taking on a different role because she's been typecast most of her career until this point has been playing the same types of roles over and over and over again so give her credit and i don't think she does a bad job at it it's just hard to replicate that type of role the show didn't last very long i think people were big fans of it though maybe because they like her as a person and you know not her as a character. Yeah. We've been through 71 episodes, and I don't think we've covered anybody that has made significant moves in the Hallmark channel, Hallmark movies game, until Annie McDowell. And I don't think it's going to help her months and meter score. From my end. I don't think we're the target demo for that. No. 
This is unprecedented, so we'll uh, we'll find out. Yeah, Cedar Cove is. Bit, I mean, she did thirty six episodes of Cedar Cove between twenty thirteen and twenty fifteen. So recurring role in that, and it seemed to have pretty good reviews. But it is a Hallmark project, so choose your project choice scoring wisely. Anybody watch Cedar Cove? I'm sure, my mom did. <laughs> Returning home, we do have to acknowledge the fact that she is the primary center character of this whole story 100 she's the focus of the show that's pretty important she's the focus of this hallmark show so it opens up a, a demographic that we really haven't seen with any other actor we've covered magic mike xxl 2015 i've rewatched it i like the magic mike movies the first one i think has a great story to it phenomenal story first one's great i even i like the second one second one's a road trip movie yeah second one was didn't hit me in the gut the same way the first one did the first one is awesome i i was Really pleasantly surprised at how much I like the first one. Yeah. In this movie, she plays Nancy. She plays kind of a debutante mother who, you know, she's letting her daughter and their friends host a party at their house. Uh, the boys come there to crash because they met her daughter at a at a beach party. She ends up being very smitten with Joe Manganiello, who uh, has an abnormally large penis mm-hmm. and has been looking for his glass slipper for quite a while because you know most women can't handle it case you know that life she ends up being his glass slipper by the end of the movie <laughs> dude burst out laughing in my kitchen yeah, <laughs> that's, that's, his, uh, that's his only fans career you're talking about there, pal. the reason i never watched this movie is not because that doesn't sound like a delightful movie for me it's because my wife doesn't need this kind of information in her life you know <laughs> joe manganello is such a nerd too he like hosts D D shit like he's a huge nerd so (laughs) um but yeah she's a she's got her southern drawl on full on full command here so that's she's leaning straight into it and ends up being joe's joe's gal by the end of the movie so it's kind of fun and then the last movie we'll mention before our next review is only the brave 2017 she plays marvel she plays jeff bridges wife in this movie this is a great movie small role but this is a great movie only the brave you don't go go to it for her and uh your boy miles teller is in this yeah rigby spoiler alert he survives but it's a it's a phenomenal movie really good i remember when this movie came out a gal i was dating at the time we were both friends with firefighters and they were like you have to go watch this movie it's a great movie and i'm like shit if firefighters are recommending this movie, it's going to be good. And it was 100% spot on. It was a great watch. And anytime it's on, I watch it still. It went under the radar and it still goes under the radar. People, Not enough people talk about it. Mm-hmm. That's unfortunate. James, I know you're an Entourage fan, so I didn't watch this because I knew it was just a sequel to Smoke Jumpers with Vinny Chase. <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually not an Entourage fan. Oh, I thought you were. No, I, wa- I wasn't. And then like, by halfway through the second season, it kind of clicked in what I was doing. And it was like, I think I was in like 10th or 11th grade. I'm like, oh, it's just like rich dudes having fun and there's a lot of boobs. But I was a big fan of uh, Ari Gold. I think Jeremy Piven's hilarious. And I loved Seth Green's recurring bit. I think that's one of the funnier recurring bits I've ever seen. He should have gotten Emmy for his guest bits on show. Not only the other people doing it. Um, but that's going to take us to Largest Critic Gap 2017. Alongside Chris O'Dowd, it is Love After Love and Rigby has it. So Love After Love is an indie film 2017, as Kyle mentioned. Um, Andy McDowell plays Suzanne. She's the mother of a dying husband. 
Uh, and her two sons are James Adamain and Chris O'Dowd, as as uh, Kyle mentioned, fellow months and Chris O'Dowd. This movie was kind of a it was a, it was unique because it had like a really unique way of telling this story about a family who is dealing with the pending death of their father. And the movie starts out with them at a, a dinner and you don't really know why you don't really know what's happening. And then you realize, okay, this guy's about to die. And the next scene after the dinner is literally the, the dad wheezing on his bed, like unable to breathe dynamic in the movie is this father passes away and this family doesn't really know how to react. Andy McDowell plays his wife who is now faced with basically living her life without the you know, the man that she spent 40 years being married to and their son's reaction to this new life as well, including Suzanne, who who's played by Andy McDowell, including her dating uh, after their father passed away. So the one thing I would say about this, Andy McDowell is great in this. I really enjoyed her performance. I really enjoyed Chris O'Dowd's performance. I wish I had seen this before the O'Dowd episode because I think I would have given him a higher score just based on this. The one thing about McDowell is she is incredibly believable in her portrayal. As someone who doesn't really know how to react at first when when she realizes that, you know, the person that she spent her whole life with basically is now no longer there. And the dynamic of the family and how to go forward with this. And I think the movie is unique because it's something that all of us deal with. We all deal with this grieving slash how can we go forward but yet it's not really talked about in movies this is not a very hollywood story it's something that we just kind of even though we all deal with it we don't really like to talk about it so i found that to be very admirable it's very slow i will say that yeah uh i think i used the quote if it's any slower it'd be farming <laughs> i did read a thing rigby that said that the the director and editor intentionally wanted to go at a snail's pace. I think that goes to what I said about how that that's related to life because death is all death. It's, it's a hard thing to get over. And sometimes it feels like it can take forever so that I can get why I get why he did that. But Mm -hmm. I don't know if it was just because I was in a, the mood not to really watch a movie like this, but I just found it to be painfully slow, (laughs) but it didn't take away from my admiration for McDowell's performance in this. To be perfectly frank, I am not a huge fan of her work, but she gained points in her months of score from me watching this. So, Same. She was great. I really enjoyed her performance in this. I don't know if it's going to show up in your list, but this is a, a top three-er for me, for her, of the stuff I've seen. Yep. Just because there's so much nuance to her character, and usually you don't get that with the types of roles she plays. I agree. She's done a lot more of this the last five, six, seven years, really since... Jane by Design yeah. in 2012, like the last 10 years, she's tried some different stuff and it's been refreshing. I just wish she had done more of it. Yeah, I'm with you. I, she, there is not an ounce of similarity between her and, you know, her Groundhog Day character in this. It is completely 180. So, this is also the first time she did a nude scene in her career. Yeah. Yeah. That was interesting. I read that she did it because both her daughters are actors now, like around 20, and she didn't want them to feel shame about their bodies. And it's like, you know what? I don't care anymore. I watched an interview about that, and I want to say that she she wasn't as concerned about the nudity 
as that she really felt for whatever the actor, the, the part required her to feel at that time. And it's not gratuitous by any stretch either in the movie. It's, it's pretty brief. It doesn't feel exploitative. All right, thanks, Rigby. A few more roles here before we hit our last review. She did a recurring character on the show Cuckoo, played Ivy in 2019, seven episodes of that. A badass movie that came out in 2019. I'm just say it for what it is, ready or not. She plays Becky, the matriarch of the family. Great movie. Marriage, board games, and people exploding. Awesome. I only saw this movie once, but it was a lot of fun from what I remember. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And that first time you watch it, there's so many strange veers and twists that you're like, this is not (laughs) what I thought this movie was going to be. And it's delightfully fun. Yes. Yep. First time I saw it, uh, it was because... Every person who had ever mentioned it to me had said the exact same thing that you just said, Case. It's like, this movie looks stupid. They're like, I promise you, it is not. You will enjoy it. I thought it was going to be like a dumb B-movie horror movie, and it was a fun one. And that's like extremely my shit. So I very much enjoyed it. The song for Ready or Not is part of the Halloween playlist. (laughs) It's great. I got to add that, too. That's a great idea. I love that chip. That'll be creepy. You're at a fucking, you're throwing a party and that comes on. You're like, oh boy, I'm getting out of this party. I'm out. <laughs> she's not the biggest role in the movie, but she, she has her handful of scenes and she's trying to murder people like everybody else. So and she's kind of, she's a badass. This is actually the opposite side of her playing that conservative straight lace mother, right? You know, the other ones, it's the absurd characters that she's the contrast for. And in this one, it's she's the contrast for these, you know, maniacal and, and diabolical characters. It's a, it's a great role. And she, she's good in it. I also appreciate how they like really play the first, like 10 minutes of the movie straight. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. When you're, you know, kind of feeling for this bride, you're like, wow, this guy's families are fucking assholes. Like they're treating her like shit, but he's cool. So it's cool. Like clearly they're in love. That's fine. All hell breaks loose. It's it's just fun. But not too dissimilar from Michael Sheen. Um, Andy's been doing a lot of TV the last couple of years, a lot of recurring roles. So she was in the dress up gang, played Andy six episodes of that in 2020. And then nine episodes of wireless played Elaine in 2020 as well. Wow. This is a dumb question, but is she playing herself in the dress up gang? herself it's spelled the same way though but is it like one of those meta roles where she's playing herself as herself i mean it it did come out probably during covid it had good reviews i'm reading an article kyle uh where the creators of dress up gang were interviewed they said when we were making the web series we'd always thought it'd be funny if andy mcdowell was our neighbor when we pitched the tv show we even said we'd love to have a neighbor that was quote andy mcdowell like Never really thinking it would actually work out to have Andy McDowell herself. There we go. So do you guys know about wireless? Wireless internet or? No, wireless, the show that you mentioned, Kyle. No, I don't. Do you know? It was a show on Quibi. Uh, Ty Sheridan's in it. It's about a, uh, like a Instagram obsessed dude who gets stranded in the mountains. And he has to basically rely on his dying phone to, um, to, help his way to safety and it's like how much how much is he gonna use to like be like his influencer and how much is he gonna use to survive it's like it's really good i i i I like the the idea of it and and soderbergh produced it too yeah yeah and that's how i know about it but it's it was a quibi show which nobody watched quibi so oh because it's like what is it like eight minutes ten minutes per episode or whatever it is yeah it was and now quibi's no longer 
no longer uh, with us. But I mean, talk about coming up with such an original concept for programming and then it being the worst possible concept for a pandemic where everyone's trapped at home. Yep. Yep. It's like everyone, you know, you get to watch a 10 minute show. You can watch it on your commute to work. And then it's like, no one commutes to work ever again. Like, oh, okay. <laughs> they crush the whole season in an hour and a half in the time a normal movie would yeah. take. They're like, I need more, bro. All of your content's done by lunch. Be like, oh, I'm- shit. <laughs> <laughs> well, looking at the total number of episodes, Ty's in 10 and she's in 9. Looks like she has probably the second highest amount of screen time oh, really? in the show, too. Mm-hmm. Um, well, let's, I'm going to toss it back to you, Case. Last review in the night, we have Largest Audience Gap, which is No Man's Land. 2021 i'd never heard of this movie and this movie is one of those box office fatalities of covid came out january 2021 movie was directed by connor allen stars his brother jake it's got a really i would say a little bit understated but a good cast frank grillo george lopez andy mcdowell esmeralda pimentel jorge jimenez and it's a really well crafted story and I know Rigby is a big fan of Roger Ebert, so I was trying to find some some good reviews. And unfortunately, it's not by Roger Ebert. It's by Christy Lemire. And I'll just read the two, first two paragraphs of this because I think it's pretty accurate. In telling a story of violence along the Texas-Mexico border from different perspective, No Man's Land clearly has the best of intentions. First of all, you know where this review is going. <laughs> Anytime something says hey, it had the best intentions, you know it's not going to end well. Uh, Director Connor Allen and his brother, star, and co-writer Jake Allen are trying to make us look at this contentious swath of land through fresh and sympathetic eyes and an instinct that that's certainly welcome after the past several years of xenophobic build-the-wall rhetoric. But the path to get there is long and slow and frustratingly filled with thinly drawn characters and on-the-nose dialogue. As our conduit, Jake Allen has a direct and appealing presence, but seasoned supporting players like Frank Grillo, Andy McDowell, and George Lopez get far too little play. For a movie that's about a character on the run, No Man's Land meanders. It takes its time in a way that feels conflicting with the narrative. I think that's a pretty accurate review. It's a good movie. I get why the uh, fan split is so high. Essentially what happens in this movie, Jake Allen plays a character named Jackson. He lives on a farm or in a ranch on the uh, Mexico border. And there's a, there's a run-in with some immigrants that are trying to cross illegally. He inadvertently kills the son of this of one of the gentlemen trying to cross with his children and then to make things right he decides he's going to go to mexico and try to apologize and make amends to this father for killing his son there's all sorts of these weird run-ins different things kind of turns the tables on on the immigrant thing because now he's an illegal immigrant in mexico trying to find his way to this town to make amends to this father he meets a bunch of different people that help him and do different things. And some of them take advantage of him and some of them are, are harmful to him. It does try to do a um, kind of a reverse role as far as these films go. I will say one of the surprising things of this movie is how beautifully it was shot. They do a great job of capturing some of the more picturesque parts of Mexico, especially rural Mexico. It's pretty well acted. It certainly was a it was a refreshing watch. I would fall on the side of the fans here. I don't know that I would go as high as the fans, but it certainly was a, a good watch. And, and like I said, I was pleasantly surprised by how well this movie was shot. As it relates to Andy McDowell, she's got a small role. I think she's got two substantial scenes in this movie. So it's pretty tough to say how she did. It's probably a callback to Only the Brave. 
in, in that type of a character. One of the bigger names, so she's more of a draw in this versus not playing the title role. Yeah, I agree. Okay, well, last couple things we'll mention before we get into top performances. She did an episode of Mr. Mayor, which I know people love that show. People are big fans of that. And then, most recently, acting alongside her daughter, Margaret, in the show Made, played Paula, her mother, in the show. And I started watching this actually today, and it is so spot on. It's how it does its editing with poverty and understanding, like, how much money this woman has left to do things. It's, I think it's done well, but I can't watch much of it because it, it's too powerful for me as somebody who grew up in poverty. Mm. But I'll say, from what I saw of uh, Annie McDowell, she plays a character she's never played before in her career in this show. As a wacky, probably dealing with mental health yeah. mother who is just erratic, artistic, mm-hmm. and a, a lot to handle. I watched this entire show, and I think this is my favorite Andy McDowell role. I think, Kyle, you're correct. It is very powerful. I think her daughter, uh, is it Margaret? Margaret. Yeah, is is the uh, main character. And obviously, I'm speculating here, but she probably pulled a lot of her um, characters. Uh, it's probably influenced by her own experience with her own mother growing up. You know, you don't see the substance abuse with her character, but you just see how unreliable she is to the point where her daughter is verging on being homeless. And she still knows that that's better than relying on her mother. And it's a small baby girl. And it's like, well, should I live in my car or should I trust my mom when I know that there's a chance my mom like accidentally leaves my daughter unfed for 12 hours and you, you know, you just can't risk it. And so it's like really powerful decisions like that. It, it's a, it was really well done. Yeah. When she goes to the social services and social services, like, so I see your mother lives like here in town. Can you take her there? And she's like, yeah, family's not really an option. Yeah. Like I'd rather be homeless and deal with a negligent mother who might be starve my kid james to your point in in an article she did cite that she drew a lot of her experience with her mother to help play this role as powerfully as she played it that would make sense i mean it she does she's great at it and it's she's like aloof and manic and her daughter is just trying to be like mom like I just need you to watch the baby for like two hours so I could go do this job and make 40 bucks and like, we'll have some money for food and gas and she just can't commit to it. And she gets, you know, and it's like, ah, fuck, like, do I bring my kid with me? Maybe this is a sign of good things to come with Andy McDowell because after ready or not love after love and this, I'm intrigued by the types of roles she'll take on the first 25 years of her career. Bland, but these I'd watch these, yeah, yeah. Well, she certainly has found herself. This, these are very much her, Mm -hmm. yeah. I think she's realized like she could ride the comfort of typecasting most of your career in Hollywood and make a living and be productive, right? And make a name for yourself. But as a performer, as an actor, she's I think she's gotten a little restless the last 15 years and said, I need to do some different stuff. Good for her. It must be terribly enjoyable for her to do this with her daughter. Mm-hmm. I mean, think about the way she grew up, what had to have been a turbulent relationship with her own mother for her to be able to work and act alongside her daughter. It must be just 
really, really rewarding. And she worked alongside her other daughter, Rainy, and Mighty Fine. Yeah. Played one of the daughters alongside Chaz in 2012. Yeah. So she's worked with both her daughters at this point. Pretty cool. That's really cool. All right. Well, we've reached the, the mountaintop, Rigby. Top performances. What do you got for us? It wasn't an article, but I found a few YouTube videos um, ranking. Okay. The problem is the latest one I found was 2019. So there will be no made on here. Okay. Just to let you know. Sorry, James. But it's TV, TV and film roles. It's from a user by the name of The Ferryman. <laughs> welcome to the podcast, Ferryman. Yeah, welcome. And is it 10? 10 film and TV roles, and it is ranked in order. All right, I'll, I'm going to throw Magic Mike XXL on there. Wow. I can't guarantee that The Ferryman has seen all of her performances either. So, <laughs> anybody, anybody else want to guess? Oh, yeah, I got, a, I got a doozy. Deception. Nope. Okay, I'm sorry. Ruby Cairo, the movie of the same, well, of a different name. Nope. That it. Our Groundhog Day is probably one. Yep. Day is number two. Yeah. Two. Okay, that's fine. Four weddings and a funeral. Uh, that's number four. Okay. Multiplicity. Number nine. Okay. Feeling. No, it wouldn't be on. Sex, lies, and video. Number one. Probably number one. That's got to be one, yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. I get that. Did Cedar Cove make it? Cedar Cove is eight. Okay, there we go. All right, justifying Case's point from earlier. Groundhog Day. That's number two. We already got that. I already said that. He's fuck off, Case. (laughs) (laughs) I knew what he was doing right away. Touche. Jane by design. Nope. It might be there. Shortcuts. Three. Ooh, there you go. None of us have seen it. I hate it. We still need five, six, seven, and ten. St. Elmo's Fire. Nope. No? Nope. Please tell me Hudson Hawk is on here because she plays a sexy nun. No. Damn it. Unstrung Heroes. I might be on that. Nope. Did we mention Greystoke? I mean, was that one of them? We didn't. Uh-huh. You mean, this isn't a Glenn Close list. Come on now. <laughs> I mean. That's a no. Sorry, Andy. Don't boy rabbit around me. Green card? Yes, number six. Okay. She got a golden glow now. And I wish I would have watched it. Footloose is probably on there, isn't it? Nope. No, it's the Muppets from Space. <laughs> Highly doubtful, but you never know. Did Love After Love make it? It did not, and I would have put it on here. That's ridiculous. I would have put it in the top three as well, Kyle. Fucking bad girls then. <laughs> nope. All right, Rigby, just tell us the rest. So number five, Harrison's Flowers. Okay. Yeah, I saw that on the list. Number seven, Daydream Nation. Okay. Yeah, she's good in that. I have no issue with that. And number 10, The End of Violence. Another one I saw and said decent things about her. Justifying me over here, Rigby, I appreciate that. Okay, so if we had to create our own top three, since this doesn't include Love After Love or Maid, what is the top three? Is it Groundhog Day, Sex Lies Videotape, and then probably Maid? Probably, but... In some order there? I liked her in Love After Love. I didn't really necessarily like the movie. I just thought her performance was fantastic. I agree. So that's definitely top three for me. But I haven't seen Maid. I haven't seen Four Weddings and a Funeral. I haven't seen Shortcuts. Shortcut. So there's a lot. There's a lot on here that is begging to be uh to be ranked. Yeah, I'm pissed. I'm pissed. I didn't see Shortcuts. I don't. You can't. I know. But unless it's you're like, gonna order a DVD from impossible. from Morocco, you're not watching it. Yeah, just like Nashville It's annoying. My friend Robert Altman is looking down, laughing at us for not being able to stream mm-hmm. his movies. Except for the player. The player's streamable everywhere, but that movie's fucking awesome. She is in the player as she well. Is. Very brief. We've talked about that as like that movie has mm-hmm. like a million cameos. Everything. So. That's why I didn't even mention it because it's like everybody's in it. So let's get into the Munson meter. What we do, we rate every actor on a scale of zero to 100 based on a variety of factors. 
factors could include longevity, project choice, pop culture impact, acting range, their awards footprint, any other talents they might have, their personal life, comedic chops, box office success or lack thereof, and anything else that matters to us as Munson's. I'm kicking us off this time. I don't know if it's a great thing that I'm doing it, but I'm going to do it. Watching her host and perform on SNL was excruciatingly painful. So many failed line reads, zero laughs. That's going to stick with me for a while, and I don't think in a good way. And going into this, I had already wasn't feeling great about her because of her roles in Mighty Fine and Dinner with Friends, those two roles I really, really dislike. Like some of the roles that stood out in in the worst ways. You know, we say a lot on the pod, you know, it was a bad movie, but not because of this person and they were fine. Mm-hmm. Like there are legitimately a few times where I was like the movie's bad because of Andy McDowell. Yeah. Uh, performance. So that's that. Give her credit for being our kind of first to venture into the Hallmark world and do it successfully. Cedar Cove showed up on that top 10 list. It's not my jam, but hey, that's got a whole different audience for pop culture impact. It may not be my pop culture impact, but it's pop culture impact nonetheless. Outside of the last like five or seven years of her career, outside of comedic actors, she probably has the least range of anybody I've seen, or at least hasn't had a chance to display it on screen. And that comes down to project choice and the roles she's chosen over the years. She may have more. And I think she does, given just made. I give her credit for being a successful model and carving a niche out for herself there. That run with L'Oreal is pretty impressive. And there's a small save for her roles in Ready or Not, Love After Love, Made in Jane by Design. But it's a little too late for her. You could go to 14 weddings and three funerals and it wouldn't save her with the box office numbers. No. I'm going to give her one of my lowest scores. I'm giving her a 54. Slightly above her Love After Love co-star Chris O'Dowd, but comparably to the other ones, I can't bring her up much higher than that uh, without messing with my rubric. So, Kate, you talk about your rubric, Kyle, and I talk about the completely pointless, senseless, and aimless numbers I throw out. So there's not a lot of logic to what I'm about to talk about. You know, I agree with a lot of what you said. At some points, I'll add, I think she's been tragically typecast early in her career. And she was really never able to get through that. You know, it wasn't until, you know, recently where she was allowed to kind of lean into her strengths as an actress. I really admire the adversity that she had to go through both personally and professionally early in her life and then, you know, early in her career. I mean, to have your scenes dubbed over by a different actress, that would be, I mean, one of you guys said it. I I would quit. I mean, I would quit the profession. You know, give her credit. She she stuck through that, has had some really, really high-profile roles in some really, really high-profile movies. The one thing I struggle with her on a lot is whether she's being brought in to play these specific roles and she's not given a lot of room by these directors, or it, maybe she just isn't able to add a lot of depth to the roles. I, I don't know. It's tough to tell. And with that, I'm going to give her a 64. Oh, One other thing, I I do think a lot of you guys, and and I get this because I am like a model, you know, it's hard as a model to break (laughs) into serious professions. And it's, you know, I I would give her more points on that, but, you know, it's been a long time since she's been with (laughs) L'Oreal. You know the hardship of that. Yeah, I know the struggle. I know the struggle. It's a grind, you know, and and it's, it's tough to get through that stigma sometimes and give her credit. She's done that. 
Bald and beautiful, right, Chip? Well, I mean, it's it's. I understand what, what you're coming from. Chip, our guest Munson, you're up. You guys are too kind. <laughs> Listen, I really like Andy McDowell. I, I think she's beautiful. I think she's serviceable. As far as the role she's chosen for her, she represents the industry well. There's so many wonderful attributes for, for her. She fits into a role that so many people could could take and, and maybe make a better role. Fair point. I'm basically looking at I, 33 um, is what I'm thinking. I, I, I think that she is lovely, but not memorable in these roles. I love it. I'm blown away right now. Is that the lowest of any? Oh, yeah. By far? Yeah. Not even lower than... That's lower than anything Warren did. Warren gave Gugu a 40. A 40 is the lowest we've ever had. I like her. I have, I have nothing against her. No. And she, she certainly seems very charming. We don't score shame here. Perfectly valid. I love it. I think that's a great score. After the 95 that Cam gave Dennis Haysbert, we we got to get the guest average down a little <laughs> bit. So you're, you're doing God's work here. <laughs> yeah, I, I appreciate that shit. I love it. James. You're up. Can you beat a 33, James? After <laughs> Chip, it sounds like I'm going to be the most generous. <laughs> Name recognition, I think, is there. And I think it is because all of her big movies came kind of in a cluster. And it was, you know, the it girl for a certain time period. And I, after that, I kind of agree with everything you guys had said. I think we got a lot of the same notes and playing it safe. Um, but I do agree the last few years as her family has gotten into acting, it sounds like it, it seems like she's taken a wider range of roles and I've enjoyed them a lot more. Uh, I thought made was uh, fantastic and I think she was great in it. Um, but I'm almost doubling Chip's score here. So it sounds nice, but it's not that great of a score. And so I'm going to give her a 60. Her daughter, Margaret, did get her the role in Maid. She recommended her mom to play her mom in that show. I forgot to mention that. He goes, hey, I know somebody that'd be good to play my mom. <laughs> Who had a schizophrenic <laughs> mother. <laughs> All right, Rigby, round us up. So I'm not a huge fan of her work, as I mentioned. She, she'll always have Groundhog Day, which... Groundhog Day is great, and I get why people love it. I it's I don't worship it like a lot of people do, but I do, it's a great movie, and I watch it whenever it's on. But I know people that are, you know, that's like their favorite comedy. It's one of the best movies ever. I'm not in that vein, but it's still good. And she, you can talk shit about James. Just say his name. No. You're allowed to do that. Okay. That's fine. You're allowed to have that opinion, James. Um, <laughs> it is. She'll always have that. As Rigby continues to trash Groundhog's Day, my Munson score of Rigby is going down. <laughs> <laughs> she will always have that and she'll that'll be that'll be the role that forever follows her whether she likes it or not I, and i think she should like it because that's a like i said even though i don't worship it i've never met anybody that doesn't like it so she'll always have that going for her yeah love her connection with soderbergh soderbergh is one of my favorite directors fortunately this aside from sex lies and videotape i can't really point out anything that she's memorable in, that she's worked with him in. I mean, you mentioned Magic Micah Cassell, but she's a very small character in that. Don't really find her funny at all. Uh, her range has obviously tried a lot more roles in the last 10 years, which I like, and I feel like that's the way her career is going, and I'm really optimistic about that. But um, I'm going to go ahead and give her one of my lowest scores as well. I'm going to give her a 63. That is, that is a low one. 
With that, it gives Annie McDowell 54.8, which puts her in 70th place, just ahead of Chris O'Dowd. Oh, wow. And just behind Dan Hedaya. But hey, every score is valid around here, my friend. Yep, yep. We don't shame at all. Especially as a guest, you chose to come on to talk about Annie McDowell, and you score-bombed her. Ballsy, I love it. The closest thing to that up to this point was Yerky with Chris Tucker. He gave him a 52. Once again, to, to just state it, it's not that I dislike her. Mm-hmm. It, 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 and that's the deal. There's a, there's a whole bunch of actors who are Same. wonderful, but they're, they're not, they're so replaceable. I agree. Yeah. I like your point that other people could play that same role and probably do it better in most cases, but there's just enough work and she's a pretty face and has gone out there. And I think she can do more. She's just been comfortable not taking the stretching her range at all. I think one of the things that hurts her, you guys, is when she came in, a lot of roles for female actresses, that's all that was asked of them. Oh, yeah. It sucks that that how she started her career. But hey, she's still had a movie career. I ain't never been in a movie. Yeah. Yes. You got an IMDb profile, but not for much. She got nude on a movie once. Have you done that? Is this the part where I promote my OnlyFans um, account? <laughs> uh, we'll get to that part of the segment and you can put in your app. James, what does she have coming? She looks like she's got four projects coming. She's got a lot going on. In light of Chip's discussion about his OnlyFans site, she's got a couple of salacious titles coming up. Yes, she does. Oh, I like that. <laughs> so she's got a few things coming out and they're actually all filmed. So a lot of them are in post-production. Cool. So one of them is called The Other Zoe which is about a, what are we looking at here? It's a, looks like a high school coming of age movie. Red Right Hand, which is what I believe uh, Case was referring to, which he had this afternoon based on what I think he was talking about. (laughs) With Orlando Bloom. Oh, I haven't seen him in a minute. He's finally uh, cashed in all those Lord of the Ring checks and ready to come back. There's not a room for a lot of elves out there. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, you're right. Yeah, it's, uh, all, of, all of his roles have been taken up. It sounds like she's probably like a, managing some sort of spy or assassin. And then there's another one. Called, all right, now I see where Case was going. There you go. Got yeah, it. she's got another movie. Uh, also uh, had to do with Case's red right hand this afternoon, which is called My Happy Ending. Which is uh, <laughs> follows a famous star who finds herself in the British hospital room with three other women uh, who help her out. It's with Tom Cullen, Lily Travers, and those are the only ones I recognize. Uh, but she plays a woman by the name of Julia. Last thing is The Way Home, and that's in pre-production. The next podcast is going to hit October 6th. We're bringing back Aubrey McKay who has been here for Halle Berry, Cameron Diaz, Aubrey Plaza, and Chris Rock. He picked one of these. Well, the wheel chose one of these five actors, and he ah. decided to join for that. And so we've got Lolita Davidovich, Eugenio Derbez, Bill Murray, Leo DiCaprio, and Imelda Stunt. What do we like, dislike? I think we know, I think we know who we like and dislike out of that. Let's just skip the bullshit. I've heard of Lolita Davidovich. Who's the other ones? <laughs> On this list, we have Leonardo DiCaprio and a Lolita. <laughs> well, if it is Leo, we can talk about his his twenty five year old role. Now he's dating Gigi Hadid. So, who's 20, is he really? Twenty. That's Lord. a rumor. Yeah, she's twenty seven. Oh, he's dating. 
that old hag. Yeah. He had to. He had to go above 25. Like, he would have no chance with a girl because he'd just be like, you're just going to leave me when I'm tw- when I'm 25, so what's the point? I think we all know we want Bill Murray or Leonardo DiCaprio, but I wouldn't be mad at Derbez or Staunton because I think Staunton would be an interesting performer to review, and Derbez is really funny. He's in CODA, so you get to watch that. How to be a Latin lover. Yeah, he's so funny in that movie, man. Highly, highly. Recommend. That was the movie that was introduced after Will Smith punched somebody, right? Coda, yeah. Coda, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Movie, yeah. It actually won an award. It was a big, big year for hands. Yeah. Did it? Oh, it did? Okay. <laughs> big year for hands. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be down with any of those four, but obviously Bill and Leo are at the top of the line. I mean, let's be honest here. Who do we think Aubrey would pick? He's gone with some pretty big names. I so I don't know if that makes me want to as someone who's been horrific at gambling recently, I don't know if that means we're due for a lesser known name or if we should just bet the favorites. I feel like DiCaprio and he'd be interesting because I'm trying to think of a Leo DiCaprio movie that I haven't seen. Ooh. Like I would not have to do much I wouldn't have to rewatch a lot. There wouldn't be like a lot of discovery in this in that episode. So as much as as fun it would be as it would be to cover him just because it's Leonardo DiCaprio, it'd be interesting. It, we probably talk a lot, lot about his producing more than like he's all the shit he's produced over the years, like environmental stuff or the models he's dated. I want to talk about that. I haven't seen The Revenant, and that's because it just looks like it's too much. Old. It is a lot. It's good though. Never seen The Basketball Diaries. A lot of drugs in that movie. Oh yeah. There you go. A lot of drugs and homoerotica. Yeah, I was gonna say my sister made me watch that when I was way too young. Oh, uh, Chip, who would you pick if you had to go back to back? Murray. Bill, yeah. Oh yeah, fully agree. Whoever, if it's one of those two, it's gonna be a jam-packed affair for sure. He plays golf as a zombie, you know, Bill Murray. <laughs> and we would get the kingpin. Exactly. We would get the kingpin. Oh wow! Which we haven't had yet. We would finally right. get it. Big earn. Anyone seen Meatballs? I think that would be Bill Murray's like first major role, right? It's definitely a '70s cult comedy. That's for sure. Another Harold Ramis movie. It just doesn't matter. I mean, where else can you get a speech like that? It just doesn't matter. Meatballs was 79, Craig. It doesn't matter. Okay. Yeah, Craig. Come on now. Hey, I'm sorry. I'm too good looking to know these years. Well, listen, we don't decide. Craig doesn't decide. Rigby doesn't decide. Aubrey doesn't decide. Chip doesn't decide. The wheel decides, and we'll see what happens. All right, Chip, you're great. We love the voice. We love having you on. Hell yes. You're always fantastic. Thank you, Chip. This is obviously plug time, so feel free to plug too much scrolling. Wise words for our audience. The floor is yours, my friend. Uh, the world is your oyster. Join us for too much scrolling. All the information you need to survive another week. And that's with Steve and Chip. And you can find that on your favorite pod catcher. Just ask your smart speaker to look for too much scrolling and find out your book. Movie and news of the week. Wow, what a plug. That was professional, man. It's almost like they've been doing this for like 10 years, weekly. It is such an easy podcast to listen to. <laughs> you have such a good voice for podcasts, too. Both you and Steve have great voices for radio. Steve, Steve can hit. He's got such a beautiful spirit. And uh, I play the curmudgeon. It's a lot of fun. You play the guy who references the most obscure shit possible. <laughs> if there was a 23 and me for podcasts, too much scrolling would be like our grandfather. Since yep. <laughs> a lot of why we came into existence was because Chip and 
and Steve invited me and others over to participate in the pod and kind of led us down this path. So we're always thankful. Yeah, buddy. Always thankful for y'all. He's a beautiful spirit. Well, as we wrap things up, you can find us on Twitter, Munson's at Movies. You can find us on Instagram, Munson's at the Movies. You can email us, Munson's at the Movies at gmail.com. Any final thoughts from Andy McDowell? I don't believe that. You backstabbing, underhanded little coffee pig. This is my show, my story, my microphone. Munson's out. All right, let's go. Thank you for the education, gentlemen. We've just received a PhD in stupidity. Doctor, shall we? Link and I are cruising the mountain, bro, and we figure we's a little juice. No, we sing the juice. We's the juice. No, 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 we sing the juice.